Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. Our God calls himself many things. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, Thus says the Lord, God the Son, the King of Israel, the Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, He says, I am the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. I am eternal, and there is no God besides me. He is the Lord, God the Son. He is Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. He is the unique person of the universe, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He will rule as king over Israel during his millennial reign in the future as the Redeemer. He has purchased us from slavery to sin, and sin is no longer sovereign over us, according to Romans 6.14. He has always existed. There never was a time that he didn't exist. And as we'll find out in our study of Colossians, he is the preeminent one, which means he is above all others, above all rule, above all authority. And we are happy to worship him. Why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we introduce people to the Lord. We make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of both unbelievers and believers. We give unbelievers the gospel message, which is the good news concerning the Lord Jesus Christ's salvation offer. We teach believers in Christ the Word of God, the Bible, the inerrant, canon of scripture, a document with no contradictions and no errors, so that those who study can have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord. If you want to know the Lord, the Bible is your source of truth about him and your source of truth about so many other amazing things. And we encourage believers here at Barah Ministries to gather themselves together with other believers instead of retreating from each other to do biblical study alone or only online. Being with like-minded people is immeasurably valuable. Now, why study the Word of God? We study for situations like these, when people assail our dedication to the Lord. Here's a Barah Ministries Facebook post from this week, a response from the world, and then my comments about it. So here's the post. 
God wants you to live the Christian lifestyle and shed the counterfeit life proposed by false teachers and their false teaching. Here's the response to the post. How do these front room armchair charlatans know what their God wants, thinks, and does? Well, I immediately knew that this guy was from Britain because nobody uses the word charlatan anymore. And just so you know, a charlatan is a quack like a doctor who's not a a good doctor, a person who claims to have more knowledge than he does. So here was my response. If we didn't know what God wants, thinks, and does, why would we bother to worship him? Fortunately, we do know what he wants, thinks, and does because he delineates it clearly in the Bible. Here was his response to the pastor's response. He does no such thing except in your mind. The Christian Bible is not the word of a God. It is the word of man. The Holocaust, for most logically thinking people, destroyed all belief in divinity. All right, so he's telling me I'm illogical, which means I'm emotional. He's telling me that every week when I study the Bible, I'm just studying the words of man and telling you about it. Uh, He says it's not from the source of God. So that's a lot of slaps in the face all at one time. So people who place their eyes on mankind forget that God has an enemy who both sponsors and perpetrates evil. God gets blamed for what his enemy does, and even though God allows evil, he does not sponsor it. How do we know? Well, the Bible tells us so. James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 say this, and James is the Lord's half-brother. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and God himself does not tempt anyone. James 1.14 But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And that's what we're going to be studying about. We're going to be studying about people who are enticed and carried away by their own lust, so much so that they become false teachers and spreading false teaching. And it's mind-boggling how much false teaching there is in the world, but it's even more mind-boggling how much of it we adopt as our way of, of, of living. Everything has a reason. Everything has a reason. God works in mysterious ways. No, he doesn't. He works in very predictable ways. But we adopt that crap. It's all good. No, it isn't. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, the Bible lets us know that God reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings. And he lets us know what he wants and thinks and does. Romans 1, 20, For since the creation of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his deity have been clearly seen by all mankind being understood through everything that has been made in the entire created universe so that all mankind, especially those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness, unbelievers, are without excuse in the matter of knowing God. And I just think it's funny that people who say there is no God know that there's a God that isn't. Don't even get it. You know, one of, the, one of the real evidences that God exists is the fact that we're here. What where, where do people think, who don't believe in God think they popped out of? Ether? 
Do they think they popped out from their parents? Okay, well, if you popped out from your parents, where did your parents come before that? And how far back does this go? Just, they, they talk about us not being logical. There's nothing logical about anything that they're saying. So, is our friend right? Is the Bible merely the word of man? Once again, the Bible says no. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 say this, Know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own private interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men, directed by God the Holy Spirit, spoke directly from the exact thinking of the God, the Lord Jesus Christ. How would the Bible know? The Bible's written in the first century. How would the Bible know how would these guys who are so unlearned and unsmart, how would they be able to anticipate that somebody was going to say that the Bible was written by men and put something in to counteract it? How would that happen? That's supernatural. Sorry. So as you study the word of God with us, we implore you to always compare what you learn about God, both at Barah Ministries and in the world, with what the Bible has to say. Don't take men's word for it, especially those men who have their eyes in the wrong place, on men and on the evil perpetrated by God's enemy. Now, God's enemy is Satan, whom whom God made the ruler of this world. So we live on planet Earth, which is Satan's kingdom. He is a deceiver who hates everyone in the world, including you. Satan wants you to feel guilty about your mistakes. He entices you to focus on yourself and your sins. Why? Because if you focus on God and his word instead, you will find relief for your guilt. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 say this, My little children, and John is talking to believers in Christ, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He's writing the five letters of his that are in the Bible so that you may not sin. God doesn't want us to sin, and John is echoing that sentiment. I don't want you to sin. And if anyone sins, that's a first-class condition, if in the Greek. If, and it's true. If anyone sins, and of course we do, we have an advocate with God the Father. Huh, what's an advocate? Somebody who comes to our defense. Somebody who speaks up for, for us. A paraclete, someone who comes powerfully to our assistance. We have an advocate with God the Father. Who? Jesus, the Christ, the only righteous one, the only one who's never sinned. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And Jesus himself, who is God the Son in human form, intervenes for us. Why? How can he do it successfully? How can he go and tell his father, let these guys off the hook for their sin? He can do that because he is the propitiation for our sins. What does propitiation mean? He is the only perfectly satisfactory payment in the eyes of God the Father for our sins. The only thing that God the Father recognizes as payment for your sins is what Jesus Christ did at the cross, shedding his blood. He is the propitiation for our sins. And our is a reference to believers in Christ. 
and not for our sins only as believers in Christ, but also for the sins of the whole world, unbelievers as well. What that should tell you is that no unbeliever is going to be in hell because of his sins. What's he going to be in hell for? The rejection of a free gift relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what God is really saying by creating the lake of fire for unbelievers is I get it. You don't want to live with me. So I will make a place for you to live where you can be around all people who are like you, who want nothing to do with me. How gracious is that? That's what the lake of fire is. A place created by a merciful and gracious God for people to live who wants nothing to do with them. It would be the equivalent of you building a house for somebody who said they hate you. Would you do that? No, absolutely not. But when the earth and the universe are blown up in the future, before God creates the new earth and the new universe, they're going to be unbelievers scrambling all over the place who have no place to live. God, knowing that, created the lake of fire so that they would have a place to live. So there's no need to feel guilty about your mistakes, as Satan wants you to do. When you make mistakes, go to God. Don't go away from him. You remember what Adam and Eve did, right? They hid in the garden in the cool of the day. Why are you hiding? Well, because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? You've been walking around in the garden for 300 years naked, and now all of a sudden you're conscious of it? Yeah, exactly. They're goofballs. Well, don't listen to the liar. Today's Bible study. The Bible provides meaningful answers to life's perplexing questions. The Bible provides meaningful answers to life's perplexing questions. As we conclude our overview of Colossians, before we study it verse by verse, we reflect on the last question of the ten that we sought to answer at the beginning of the overview. What relevance does Paul's letter to the Colossians have to our lives today? Because really, you know, when we study the Bible, we're not just studying about first century people. You know, we went through that whole letter, 1 Corinthians. And all of the things that they were going through, those are the things that we're still going through now. Right? There are still people sleeping with their mother-in-law. Amen? Ew! Ew! (laughs) Tough to get your head around that. So, as I thought about answering this question, a movie came to mind. The Devil's Advocate. Have you guys ever seen that movie? Yeah. It's an awesome movie. And the closing monologue of the movie highlights the relevance of the Colossian letter to our lives today As Satan, the enemy of God, talks to a son he sired in the movie, here's what he said. Who are you carrying all those bricks for anyway? God? Is that it? God? Well, I'll tell you. Let me give you a little inside information about God. God likes to watch. He's a prankster. Think about it. He gives man instincts. He gives you this extraordinary gift, and then what does he do? I swear, for his own amusement, his own private cosmic gag reel, he sets the rules in opposition. It's the goof of all time. Look, but don't touch. 
Touch, but don't taste. Taste, but don't swallow. And while you're jumping from one foot to the next, what is he doing? He's laughing his sick ass off. He's a tight ass. He's a sadist. He's an absentee landlord. Worship that? Never. Why not? I'm here on the ground with my nose in it since the whole thing began. I've nurtured every sensation that man has been inspired to have. I cared about what he wanted and I never judged him. Why? Because I never rejected him. In spite of all his imperfections, I'm a fan of man. I'm a humanist, maybe the last humanist. Who in their right mind, Kevin, could possibly deny the 20th century, century was entirely mine? All of it, Kevin, all of it, mine. I'm peaking, Kevin. It's my time now. It's our time. Yep, that's how the liar sounds. One of the most brilliant geniuses ever to come from the hand of God. One of the most convincing liars ever to exist. Well, the church at Colossae was under attack from false teachers who sought to infiltrate the church with their false teaching. In our lives today, the same exact thing is going on. Demonic forces seek to destroy our churches from within, quite often through other Christians. Wolves in sheep's clothing seek to destroy what God is building. Yet our God is still on duty, keeping a watchful eye on us and not allowing things that are not for our good. In today's lesson, we'll conclude our overview of Paul's letter to the Colossians so we can see how God addresses the problem of false teachers and their false teaching in that beautiful little church in Colossae. All right, well, let's hear some music. There are many times in the journey of this life when we get to experience emptiness. So it was for Solomon when he chose to worship everything but God. Sex, education, mankind, materialism, just to name a few. A summary of his investigation... Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, he says, meaningless. Meaninglessness of meaninglessness, says the preacher. Meaninglessness and more meaninglessness. All is meaningless. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. That's what he said. And he's right. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 was his summary of the whole situation that he investigated. The conclusion when all has been heard is this. Respect God and keep his mandates because this is the duty of every person. The answer is in God and not in meaningless investigations. So Lord, as Solomon and Danny Goki remind us, life is meaningless if you ain't in it. I've got things that I thought would fill my heart up Sitting on top winning But that ain't winning I've chased all the good stuff All the bad stuff Stuff the world calls living But that ain't living Hey, don't really matter what I do Hey, don't mean 
Three ahs. I was checking as I looked at the words. Ah, 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 ah. Say again. I got stuck on ah. It was awful. Thank you, and thank Danny Goki. He's one of my favorites. If you ain't in it, you ain't going to win it. If he ain't in it, you ain't going to win it. Amen? All right, let's pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for giving us the gift of faith. And thank you for giving us the perfect target for our faith, our God and your Son, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that your promises are guarantees so that we don't need a sign from you. Your Word is enough. Thank you for the truth of the Word of God and the light it provides to guide our paths through our amazing God, the Holy Spirit. Father, help us in our weakness. Edify us when we don't know what to think. Provide us with wisdom so we see your perfection in every one of your decisions that we witness. Heal our souls from the wounds of this world and our experiences in it. Fill us with confidence because of our relationship with you. Give us hope. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, In Christ's name, say it with me. 
Amen. Today's Bible lesson, the Bible provides meaningful answers to life's perplexing problems. The Bible provides meaningful answers to life's perplexing problems. Questions. Here. Questions. On May 6, 2021, a young woman died of a drug overdose in Nogales, Mexico. A week before, she had celebrated her 33rd birthday. She left behind three children, one 16 years old, one 15 years old, and one 10 years old. They will never get to know their mother, and they'll always wonder what it would have been like to know her. She is still alive. The soul once born never dies. Each of us gets to choose where our soul spends eternity. Her soul is in eternity, but where? God knows. You see, God created this woman. God allotted this woman a number of days here on earth. God knew the exact time he would bring her to earth. He knew the exact time he would take her from earth. He loves her unconditionally, and he still has his eyes on her, and he will for all eternity. This woman matters to God. She did not matter at all to the person who sold her the drugs. That she is no longer here doesn't matter to that person at all. He has his money, and he's looking for his next victim. And he will find his next victim, and the results will be the same. It will not matter at all to him who is devastated by his careless actions. You see, there are people who don't care at all about your life. They don't care if they hurt you. They don't care how you suffer. They simply want to extract from you what they want for themselves, even if it's your life. The Lord warns us about such people in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Ravenous. Those who are eager to satisfy themselves at your expense. Those who are greedy, who seek to plunder without regard for the ones harmed by their actions. They are vicious dogs who devour our dreams and our lives with their lies. The Lord says, beware. Does this have any relevance to our lives today? It does. Yet it's not the people who, it's not people who are out to destroy us. The battle is much more sinister than that. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13 say this, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against humans. It's not against souls and the flesh. It's not against souls and sin natures, which is a battle we could see. See, when we have a dispute with a human being, we can see them and we think, Boy, this is them. It's not. Our struggle is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, of the spiritual mafia. You see, Satan is organized, and he has people who report to him, and he has a demon army, and he assigns them to people. He assigns them to ministries that are teaching the truth. And so the things that we go through aren't just human beings being goofy. They are human beings being used. That's what it is. 
Our struggle is against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, which is their current headquarters from which they attack. They are in the heavenlies attacking us. Ephesians 6.13, Therefore, what is Paul's recommendation? Pick up and put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Notice it does not tell us to play offense against them. He tells us to play defense against them because they are trying to steal our victorious ground. We already stand on victorious ground, so there's no reason for us to go uh, offensive against them because we already have the victory. People let themselves be used by the spiritual forces of wickedness. They are humanly repugnant. Those who allow themselves to be used, according to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, which says this, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And that's a reference to a woman menstruating, for example. And all our self-righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. They're like a used tampon. That's what is being communicated here. False teachers inculcate their false teaching into our psyches so that their lies become our operating system. Now, if you aren't uh, computer savvy, you might not know what an operating system is, but every phone that you have has an operating system in it. Every computer that you have has an operating system in it. And that operating system is the brains of the unit. Well, you have an operating system too, the brains of your unit, and you operate with the thoughts that you have adopted. Fat kid, healthy kid, that was my mom's operating system, and that's the reason I'm fat. No other reason. Amen? It's my mom's fault. <laughs> she did. My mom loved Chunky Baby. I was 40 pounds when I was a year old. Well, you know why? Because they were feeding me, she was feeding me caro syrup and water because that's all we could afford. So I got my carbs in. I never met a sugar I didn't like, amen? <laughs> so that was my operating system. Her operating system said fat kid, healthy kid, so I was fat. And that's the way it was. So, and I, by the way, I'm not blaming my mom. She did what she had to do. Her job was just to keep me alive, and she did that. But we have these operating systems, and the operating system that Satan installs is one that is designed to confuse you, so the confusion becomes the norm in our lives. What is one of the things that our young people are always saying? You ask them a question. I have no idea. I have no idea. Well, why don't they have any idea? They don't have an, enough vocabulary to think. I was like, slight, slight. That's why, I, you know, I have, to, I have to put on headphones in the airport because I could not stand listening to people's conversations where every other word is like. It's like, it's like, I was like, and he goes, and I go, and I'm like, I like, I like, I like, I like. It's like, I thought, I thought records were done. You remember when you had records, those of you who are a little older, and you remember it used to just get stuck? and you had to press the needle so that it would get over the groove where it was stuck. It's like people talk now, young, young people talk, and it's like they're stuck, like, 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 like. 
drives me a little bit crazy. So God has a magnificent spiritual life planned for us. And when the problems of this life perplex us, when we wonder why anyone would want to hurt us, and by the way, that's our first reaction always when somebody hurts us. Why would anyone want to do that to little old me? The Bible provides meaningful answers. Our battle is not with people. There's a whole spiritual set of forces in the heavenlies that wants to see you die. And they would kill you if they could, if you weren't under the protection of the Almighty God. So our study of Paul's letter to the Colossians will, first of all, reveal the gift that God has given to us, the gift of himself. I think in chapter 1, there are 25 different gifts that God has given to us. And... He gave us all those so that we could have a relationship with him. He did everything to provide what we would need to have a relationship with him. And then he gave us the gift of his word so that we would know the truth and so that we would know his mind. Because God does not work in mysterious ways. He works in entirely predictable ways because he wants us to know him. He does not hide from us. And... He gave us the gift of enemies who edify us through their wickedness so that we learn perseverance and proven character and so that we have hope from a God who does not disappoint. See, that's the the problem with our young people today. They haven't been subjected to enough tribulation. So they're not tough. They're soft. And they fall apart in their souls because parents are soft. And parents aren't putting them through tough stuff. Oh, don't raise your voice to them. Because if you raise your voice to them, you're being verbally abusive. You don't even know what verbal abuse is. You should live in my house for about a week. And you'd see what verbal abuse is. But what does it do? It makes you tough. I remember, and I know I've told you the story a hundred times, but it just is always coming back to me how I came home from high school crying for 30 straight days. And my mom said, well, you know, maybe you can't compete with those kids. I'd come home crying after a day of being a bad boy for the White Sox when I was getting teased with man energy. And she said, God, you need to toughen up, son. You're soft. Man, there's nothing like having your mom call you soft. You know, if your dad calls you soft, you know, you can can go with that because that's what men do. Men, everybody's soft to men, right? But when your mom is calling you soft, man, that, that, that hurts on a level that you can't, you can't even describe. It's like, you're soft. I'm not. Right? She said, you can't compete with those kids. What did you say to me? I'll spare you the expletive that I threw in there when I was talking to her. But I couldn't believe she was telling me I couldn't compete. I couldn't believe she was telling me I was soft. I can't believe she was saying, I'll just take you out of the hard school and put you in the weak school. It's right down the street. All you have to do is walk two blocks. They're not going to be hard on you over there. You're not going to have to compete with anybody good over there. You don't want to be on the Olympics? No problem. There's the Special Olympics. Come on. That's what my mom was telling me. My mom was World War II, man. She was tough. Huh? Yeah, she was tough. She wasn't playing. She is. She is proud of me, but she wouldn't say it. 
she still finds something wrong. I remember I moved from Chicago. I had an 1,800-square-foot house, and I sold it for 155000 I moved to Phoenix, bought a 4,600-square-foot house, brand-new construction, for $220,000. The real estate agent asked my friend who led me to the, to the property, why didn't he negotiate? Negotiate? I wanted to buy that as fast as I could so you didn't change your mind. Like, go from 1800 at 155 to 4600 to 220 You're kidding me? Negotiate? I want that now. And my mom came and looked at the house. The first thing I'm thinking, she's going to say, I'm so proud of you, son. I can't believe that you came from our 925-square-foot townhouse rat hole to this beautiful mansion, 4,600 square feet, brand-new construction. She said, you don't need all this house. Why do you need this? Excuse me, what? <laughs> Weren't you telling me that I should aspire? She was tough, man. She was tough. You don't need to have a $60,000 car. You could have a fleet of cars for that. Yeah, okay, Mom, I'm going to sell my Lexus SC400. i go buy a used Honda Civic. Yeah, I'll go get that right away, Mom. She's a tough lady. But that's, you know, that's what we're dealing with here, that false teachers want to inculcate their false teaching deeply into our psyches so that their lies become our operating system, so that we become confused, and so we abandon the victorious ground we're on, this magnificent spiritual life that God planned for us. And when the problems of this life perplex us, when we wonder why anyone wanna, will want to hurt us, the, the Bible is the place to go to get meaningful answers because it is the source of truth. So our study of Paul's letter to the Colossians will reveal all these amazing gifts that God has given to us. Our relationship with him, his word so we know him, and enemies so that we learn all these magnificent gifts, the gift of toughness, perseverance, proven character, and hope. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering and then we'll take a brief look at the final chapter of Colossians, chapter 4, before we go on to study this magnificent letter. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong. At the end of the line, will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody, We're trying to tell everybody. We're all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me. For the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is 
Everybody's got a purpose. So when I hear that devil start talking to me, saying, Who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody.
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, the Bible provides meaningful answers to life's perplexing questions. The Bible provides meaningful answers to life's perplexing questions. Well, there's a principle that is true in agriculture that is also true in the spiritual life. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, Now I, Paul, say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows abundantly will also reap abundantly. When we give, God wants us to give abundantly, voluntarily, thoughtfully, cheerfully, prayerfully, generously, and enthusiastically, just as he would. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8 say this, Each one must give just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance to give for every good deed. Check your attitude as you give, believers in Christ. Make sure your attitude is an exact reflection of the abundant, voluntary, thoughtful, cheerful, prayerful, generous, and enthusiastic sacrifice that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, made on your behalf at the cross. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. This is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. Amen. And this week I was thinking, there's not enough gratitude in the world. I was heading to work, and I went to Circle K to get gas and popped in to maybe get a soda. And as I'm standing there holding the door, a guy walks through and didn't say a word. Another guy walks through and didn't say a word. So I, I, I'm going to get stuck here, so I went in. And it's not a big deal. I didn't need a hug. I didn't need a handshake. But just, you know, thanks, bro. Thank you, sir. Anything. You just don't even get it from strangers. You know, and then I get to work, and I got... Ten guys all asking me to help them with different projects, and they don't say thank you once. I get them doors, I get them drawer boxes, they show up on time, just not even a thanks, just right on with their mission. And then I get home and I got two cretins that are just like, can I play a tablet? Can I have more pizza? Can I have more, more, more? And they don't say please, they don't say thank you. And it's just one of those things that grates on you. Could you just say thank you? Could you just have a little bit of gratitude for your life? A little bit of gratitude for all the work your mother and I do to get you clothed and have food for you and get you bathed. You know, they don't even want to brush their teeth. And we help them brush their teeth. They don't say thank you. They cry. They get angry, you know. And so it's just one of the things. I feel like we should have gratitude a lot more for people in our lives, for ourselves, for others, and for God. You know, we see in the Bible, Hebrews 12, verse tw- or chapter 12, verse 28, Therefore, since we believers in Christ receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. We're on victorious ground. Do we ever say, give thanks for that? You know, our children are in a house that keeps them clothed and fed and warm and protected, and do they ever give thanks? No. And so I feel like it's just it's necessary to give thanks more and have gratitude. We see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, And in everything give thanks, for this is God's will with you, who are in union with Christ Jesus. See that? Everything give thanks. Not when we feel like it. 
Not when everything's going great for us, then we can be, have gratitude. Or not when everything is perfect in our life. We need to give thanks and have gratitude at all points in our life, no matter what's happening, even in the struggles, especially in the struggles. Because that's when people are watching us, and they're checking out our faith and our hope in our Christ. When we give up and we show despair and we're not thankful, how, how do they think you know, God's going to act with them, that they don't have any, any love for Christ? And so it's, you know, it's one of those things I give thanks to my mom because I thought, you know, not having sugar was a bad thing. We had like raisin, I think we just had raisin bran or we had no sugar cereals growing up. The pastor had sugar water growing up. So I wanted the opposite. I wasn't grateful, you know, and he wasn't grateful. We're both looking for something else in our life. But at the end of the day, we should just be thankful for the person that sustains us and helps us, our families, our friends, and especially Christ. He gives us the power. He gives us everything we have in our life. He gives us 25 gifts. Do we stop and say thank for those every day? Are we grateful? Well, I'm grateful. And I have gratitude for Pastor who gets up every week and spends his week with lessons. I have gratitude for Denise especially because she's taken this church and called us all up. Not called us out, but called us all up. We've definitely taken leaps and bounds in these last couple of years. And it's all because of the work that we have, and I have gratitude for all of you that come each week, all 12 people that are here week in and week out, because your faces drive us, and they keep us going. And so thank you for giving at the offering, because this is your chance to show gratitude for God, that everything he gives you, by giving him of your time, your talent, and your treasure. So thank you very much.
love that song. Today's Bible lesson, the Bible provides meaningful answers to life's perplexing questions. The Bible provides meaningful answers to life's perplexing questions. Well, one of the reasons that Denny, Deacon Denny Goodall doesn't get enough gratitude is because what words could you actually say to express gratitude for a man like that? <laughs> All right, wait. All right, wait. Okay, I have the perfect setup here. So the perfect setup is I say, what words could you say to express gratitude to a man like that? That's what you guys are supposed to go, amen, brother, amen. There's nothing you can say. Carol says, thank you for opening the door. <laughs> thank you, Carol, for that. <laughs> no, we don't. That's right. Amen. We need to be. Amen. All right. Now back to my magnificent point. <laughs> yeah, there are no words for you, Deacon Denny. There are no words for you. You are an amazing man who does all kind of cool stuff all the time for so many people. And we love you and we're grateful for you. Thank you very much. And I can't say it enough or show it enough, right? All right, so today's Bible lesson, the Bible provides meaningful answers to life's perplexing questions. Well, in the first few lessons of this Colossians overview, we heard chapters 1 and 2 and 3. Let's conclude our overview by listening to the fourth and final chapter of Colossians, chapter 4, verses 1 to 18. Did I say Corinthians earlier? Because I shouldn't have gone from C to C, I'm telling you. Because every time I'm typing, I want to type Corinthians when I mean Colossians. All right, but anyway, it's Colossians chapter 4, verses 1 to 18. It says this, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it. With an attitude of thanksgiving. There it is, Deacon Denny. Thanksgiving. Make it a habit to pray. And when we pray, the first thing we do in prayer is give thanks to God for all of his blessings, whether the blessings of adversity or the blessings of prosperity. All of those are worked together for good by our amazing God. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Praying at the same time, for us as well. Paul wants prayers for himself. He is in prison when he writes this epistle. That God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. What's the mystery of Christ? It's the mystery doctrine of the church age, which is what? Christ indwelling you, the hope of glory. The entire Trinity indwells church age believers. That has never happened before in divine history so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. I like the way he uses imprisoned. He's in prison, but he's also a prisoner of the Lord as his 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week doulos, a slave. Colossians 4.4 That I may make the word clear through the way I speak as I am obligated to do. Colossians 4.5 Conduct yourselves 
with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. One of the things I like most about Barah Ministries and the people who are part of this ministry, the core part of this ministry, is we are very welcoming to people who, are, who come in from the outside. Colossians 4, 6. We're even welcoming to people that we don't want here who come in from the outside. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt. What is salt? A preservative. So that you will know how you should respond to each person. The gospel message has to be customized for each person. The principles of it are absolutely the same, but how you bring it to people is based on how they need to have it brung. Amen? I don't think brung's a word, but I like that one. <laughs> we brung it. <laughs> bring, brang, broughten. Colossians 4, 7. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. He is the one who brought the letter from Paul in prison to the church at Colossae. Colossians 4.8 For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he he may encourage your hearts. Colossians 4.9 And with with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, Onesimus, was a slave of Philemon. He was a runaway slave, and the chapter, the letter from Paul to Philemon, which we will study next, it'll be a very brief study after Colossians, was all about getting uh, Philemon to accept Onesimus back after he had run away as a slave. And they will inform you about the whole situation here. So Tychicus and Onesimus would inform the congregation about Paul's problem being in prison. Colossians 4.10 Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings and also Barnabas's cousin Mark about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Colossians 4.11 and also Jesus who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. They're Jewish. And they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Colossians 4.12 Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Epaphras was the one who founded the church at Colossae, and he's the one who went to Paul and told him about the false teachers and their false teaching. Colossians 4.13, For I testify for Epaphras that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. There were churches in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Colossians 4.14, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas, Luke, the one who wrote Luke and who wrote Acts. He was always with Paul to take care of his physical health. Colossians 4.15, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and also greet Nympha and the church that is in her house. And churches started in homes back then. They weren't 
mega churches. They were small, intimate churches just like this, where everybody knew everybody and everybody knew your name. Colossians 4.16. And when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. The letter that was coming from Laodicea was a letter called Ephesians. This one talks about God, and the Ephesians letter talks about the body of Christ. Colossians 4.17 Say to Archippus, take heed of the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. When we have ministries, sometimes we think, I don't know, I'm kind of burned out. And so he was giving encouragement to Archippus. Colossians 4.18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment, and grace be with you. What answers is this study going to provide for our spiritual lives? Only God knows. But if the overview is any indication, we'll learn about our Lord and who he is through chapter 1. We'll learn about the problem in the Colossian church, which is the same problem we have in Barah Ministries in chapter 2. False teachers, false teaching, wolves in sheep's clothing, infiltration of evil. That is always being attempted here at Barah Ministries. And we'll be reminded of the keys of the Christian way of living in chapters 3 and 4. I can't wait, and I hope you can't wait either. Well, the closing moments of this lesson today are for anyone who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what he wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life, a decision for or against a relationship with Christ. What does God want for you? Two things. First and foremost, God wants you to be saved. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4 say this. This is what's good and acceptable in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who desires all men to be saved and who desires for all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. What the Lord does not want for you is highlighted in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. But instead, he is patient towards you unbelievers, not wishing for any of you to perish in the lake of fire, but for all of you to come to repentance, which is a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The immutable and irrevocable fact may contradict thoughts placed in your head by God's enemy, Satan, through religions that contend that God is always disappointed in you because you sin and that you have to work to please him. That's false. So are you saved? Second, God wants you to have a written account of absolute truth. His exact thinking. John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31 say this, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, the Bible. John 20, 31. But these things written here in the Bible have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord, in human form, and that by believing in him, 
you may have the resurrection life in his name. What is your source of truth? Do you know the truth? Especially the truth about who God is as a person and the truth about what he has done to save you? Maybe you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't think he is God. Maybe you don't think that the Bible is his exact thinking. Maybe you don't even think that you need to be saved. Well, the Bible says that being saved, salvation is exactly what all humans need from the moment of their physical birth. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, At physical birth, all mankind were born spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 22 says this, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. The Bible says all who are spiritually dead need to be saved. They need a spiritual life. The Lord Jesus Christ volunteered for the task of saving you so that you could be provided with a spiritual life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 say this, God the Father, being rich in mercy, totally willing to not give you what you deserve, which is the lake of fire, because of his great unconditional love with which he loved us all, even when we were spiritually dead in our transgressions, even when we were his enemy, made us believers in Christ spiritually alive and placed us into union with Christ, a position out of which we can never get. By his grace, giving us what we don't deserve, you have been saved. Absolutely amazing. When you were spiritually dead, as ungodly, unrighteous unbelievers, here's what God the Father gifted, to you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind, and that while we were yet sinners, while spiritually dead, ungodly, unrighteous, unbelievers, Christ died as a sacrifice for us. Who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. He says, I, Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus the Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. And if he wasn't raised from the dead, all he would be is a martyr. He would just be another dead guy that we put a statue up for. But he did, he did indeed get resurrected from the dead to prove that he is who he said he is, the sovereign God of the universe. And because of the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice, right where you sit right now, you can have eternal life, the resurrection life, by taking the suggestion in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. But you should also heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. The lake of fire is a literal place and it will be your eternal home 
if you reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved, except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you don't have to work to be saved. It's a free gift from a gracious God. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in self-righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, we are born again, and through the renewing by God the Holy Spirit. There's no excuse for you not knowing how to be saved. It is so simple. Why? It's simple because God does the saving for you. All you have to do is invest your gift of faith, the gift you received from a loving God, and place that faith, place your confidence for salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all you have to do. Do it now. There's no time to waste. Well, let's close with music. With God, everything is perfect. He has perfect and unconditional love for us. He has a perfect will for our lives. And he has a perfect memory. And one of the best things about his memory is that he remembers not to count our sins against us. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this. In union with Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. As June Murphy sings, in the Lord's perfect memory, he remembers to forget. Restoration is 
Wow. You've been singing really good lately. Something wrong? I am funny. That was awesome. Thank you, June. Let's close with words of worship for our Almighty God. Romans chapter 15, verse 5 says, Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, to think the exact same way, operating in harmony according to your union with Christ Jesus. Romans 15, 6. So that with one accord, you believers in Christ may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 15, 7. Therefore, keep on accepting one another, keep on receiving one another, just as Christ also keeps on accepting us all in unconditional love to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you for all the challenges you place before us. We thank you for all the ways that you let us know that we're advancing in your plan and the ways you let us know that you're advancing us in your plan because whenever you are advancing us in your plan, things get hard. Things change. Attacks come from the outside and attacks come from within. And so we can clearly see that you've got Barah Ministries on the move. And we just pray that you protect us and keep us, that you provide for us, that you are fully present with us, especially when we pray, so that we can experience our relationship with you in new and different ways every moment of every day. And as we go forward into the world to conquer a week that you already know what's going to happen, we ask that you open our spiritual eyes to recognize the opportunities that you put for put before us. We pray especially, by the way, for Harold Christensen and his calf. We pray that you reach into his leg and heal him so that he can walk effectively, especially on a business trip. And we pray for all the members of Barah Ministries that you give us the desires of our heart. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.